And that music can only mean one thing. The Delaware Valley Journal is on the air. The official podcast of DelawareValleyJournal.com, which I know you're visiting every day for news you can't get anywhere else. News generated by our taskmaster who cracks the whip over us every day, news editor Linda Stein. Linda, how's the whip cracking going today? Oh, draconian is up for Michael. <laughs> well, that's how we like it. <laughs> Linda lives by the motto, the beatings will continue until morale improves. And we appreciate that. Uh, speaking of beatings, running for office, not easy. It is absolutely rough and tumble practice. And yet Ron Vogel has chosen to jump in. He wants to be the Republican who takes on incumbent Democrat Chrissy Houlihan in Pennsylvania's 6th Congressional District in Chester County. Ron, welcome to the Delaware Valley Journal podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here. So uh, I got to ask, you've decided to run for office. What happened? Did you like get dropped on your head as a child or were you in a disfiguring accident? What are you thinking? Don't you know what politics is like? <laughs> you know, I am a uh, rough and tough hockey player. I'm 36 <laughs> years old. I've been playing hockey since I was four. So uh, I'm used to getting banged around and uh, roughed up a bit. And uh, I definitely, definitely give my fair share back as well. So I am ready for the world of politics and uh, thus far, it's been going very well, you know, kind of, uh, kind of what happened was, you know, I've been a lifelong conservative. I, I love America. I love America with all my heart. And I have seen the country change so much recently and it has changed not for the better. And, uh, the 2021 elections here in Chester County, I watched the school board late races essentially get swept by the far left. And um, my wife and I, we've got a four-year-old, a three-year-old, and a seven-month-old. So we've got a lot of skin in the game. And I was sitting there on the couch with my wife one night, right after the elections. And I was like, you know what? I feel like I need to serve my country. I need to do something to help because things are getting out of control. And the future for our kids, the future for all kids is not looking too good. And I said to her, I, I have a crazy idea. What if I run for Congress so I can help all 50 states? And she didn't say yes. <laughs> what she said was, you have to do it because my wife knows what kind of person I am. And when I set my eyes on a goal, when I set my, you know, when I set a target, I give 110%. And every time I meet the goal, I exceed the goal. And, uh, I'm ready to make this happen. So, so I, Linda, I think I found out the real reason Ron's running. He at home waiting for him as a four-year-old, a three-year-old and a seven month old. So no wonder he wants to stay out of the house. <laughs> you know, I, um, my four-year-old daughter, she thinks that if I win the election and I go to DC, she thinks that she gets to go there and fight back against <laughs> Joe Biden and not me. And I explained to her, I said, Erica, when you're older, you can run for Congress if you want. And she's like, when I am 18, I will do it. I was like, Erica, you got to be 25 to run for Congress. <laughs> and she was not happy not with happy. that answer. But I was like, hey, look, when you're 18, you can vote. So at least you can do that. And she was like, all right, well, all right fine. <laughs> so um, what makes you think you can beat uh, Chrissy Houlihan, who is, after all, the incumbent, she claims she's a moderate and she has a lot of uh, finances behind her. Good question. And, you know, I think that the reason I will win against Chrissy Houlihan is because Chrissy does not represent the best interest of this district. Chrissy Houlihan pretends to be a moderate, 
But if you look at her voting record, she she votes like this is San Francisco. Her she she lines up with Nancy Pelosi and AOC almost 100% of the time. Uh, okay, let me, let me interrupt very- you right there because that's an interesting uh, claim and certainly worthy of debate and discussion. A couple of, of examples of votes that you think Representative Houlihan has cast that put her on the Pelosi end of the party. When our cities were being burned down by BLM and Antifa, she voted against providing federal help to stop from happening. Um, Chrissy Houlihan has voted for red flag gun laws. She uh, never votes to protect our border. And, uh, you know, she thinks that men should use women's bathrooms. You know, these are just not districts that align with PA6. These are these are viewpoints that align with, you know, places that are much more far left, like San Francisco. Um, Your website says you're for common sense. What exactly do you mean by common sense? Common sense, you know, um, when it comes to fiscal policy, for example, America is spending money that we don't have. And we keep raising the debt ceiling, we keep printing more money. And now we have this economic catastrophe with inflation as a result. You know, common sense, don't spend money that you don't have. And in the case of an emergency, maybe you have to do it for a little while, but not not 31.4 trillion, which is where our national debt is is headed in very, very near future. Um, you know, just common sense stuff like that, where if we're responsible as a nation, both fiscally and socially, we're all going to be better off. Uh, you also have uh, fighting inflation as the kind of the top item on your issues page, which is not surprising. A lot of people are talking about inflation, obviously, since the voters keep saying over and over again, holy crap, look at this inflation. What can any member of Congress do about inflation? And what do you think are one or two policies that you would hope Washington would adapt to try to turn things around? We need to control our spending. We need to control our spending. And we need to take a good look at all of our mandatory spending and our discretionary discretionary spending. In addition to trying to, you know, try to try to reel back the spending in those two areas, one big thing I want to focus on here is energy independence. Energy, American energy independence will directly help to fight inflation and it will also help to increase our national security. Chrissy Houlihan is, is, is against American energy independence. She, she's fought against these pipelines that we want to build to simply transport the goods, you know, transport the energy, which by the way, it's going to get transported either way, whether or not we have a pipeline. But the difference is we're gonna to have to use more energy to transport it over the roads if we don't have a pipeline. You know, when, when gas is approaching $5 a gallon, it drives the price of everything up, it increases inflation, and it hurts all of your hardworking Americans who right now are struggling to get by. You said you, you, you are for term limits. Um, why? Exhibit A, Joe Biden. Exhibit B, Nancy Pelosi. Uh, <laughs> we need to have term limits. You know, it's, it's, I find it interesting that these politicians, a lot of them, they go there and they work in D.C. for, you know, decades and they all come out extremely wealthy. And I'd like to figure out how it is that these people make so much money 
by working as a public servant. The key word here is servant. And anybody that wants to get into politics should do so to serve their country and not enrich themselves. And we need people who are motivated, people with energy, people with new and fresh ideas. And that is why I am a big, big believer in term limits. You're in the Republican primary and obviously one of the most uh, commonly used and impactful words in Republican circles at the moment is Donald Trump. So uh, would you describe yourself as a Trump Republican, some other Republican, and who won the 2020 presidential election? You know, I voted for Donald Trump in 2016, and in 2020, between Joe Biden and Donald Trump, I certainly voted for Donald Trump. Um, you know, I am focusing on uh, 2022 and saving America right now. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm not going to align myself with any, you know, past or future or current president. Um, circling, circling back to Chrissy Houlihan, um, there was a fundraising email that the Dems sent out saying that she was uh, one of the most vulnerable people, one of the most vulnerable uh, incumbents. Uh, so you must think she is vulnerable then? Absolutely. I think that she's a very vulnerable incumbent. And uh, I think that Chrissy Houlihan is worried about facing me in the general. She's never faced an opponent like me. I'm 36. I'm full of energy. A lot of young voters have really resonated with me. I've been out and about on the streets, just hanging out, meeting with people. Everywhere I go, I'm shaking hands. And I've gotten dozens, dozens of people to, to take out their phone and register Republican on the spot because they are excited to vote for me in the primary. They like my ideas. They like my energy. They like the fact that I'm a common sense, America first kind of guy. And I think Chrissy's worried. One other thing I wanted to ask you about was school choice. You're for that? Why? I'm 100% for school choice. I think that is very important that parents are able to make the best decisions possible for their kids. I believe that if a, if, if a parent wants to send their child somewhere else, the money that would otherwise be allocated to that child in the school district should follow that child to where they want to go. Um, some people who are against school choice say, oh, well, you know, parents can choose where their kids go. They can just send them to another school. And a lot of times it's not that simple because parents can't afford to do it, especially now with the out of control gas prices and inflation. So uh, one last question for you, and we appreciate your time. Uh, when you're out and about campaigning, what are the things that the voters bring up when they find out that you're running for Congress? What do they want to talk to you about? You know, it, it depends uh, where I'm at. I always get a wide a wide uh, you know, range of topics. But right now, I would say the most, the three most common things that people want to talk about are the high gas prices, the absolute out of control inflation, and school choice. You know, a lot of parents in this area, a lot of parents are very worried about the direction the public school systems are going in. And, um, you know, people really just want to make sure that they can take care of their kids and get their kids a good education. So a lot of folks are worried about that. 
Ron Vogel is a candidate for Pennsylvania's 6th Congressional District running in the Republican primary. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Delaware Valley Journal podcast. We appreciate your time. Thank you very much. And uh, if anyone wants to check out my website, uh, www.voteforron2022.com. And so for a bit of bonus content for this episode of the Delaware Valley Journal, I've asked my very good friend, Dr. Spencer Kimball Esquire. I think, isn't that what I'm legally required to call you, Spencer? Over I think Spence, <laughs> legally just Spence would wear it. <laughs> so Spencer Kimball, one of my favorite people, he does polling and he does it with half a brain, which is hard to find in his in- industry. He's the director of polling at Emerson College up in Boston. Welcome to the podcast. Always great to talk to you. Mike, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. So listen, you've been polling the Pennsylvania races, and I want to get to that in just a second. But first of all, what what's the condition of the polling industry at the moment? You know, a lot of bumps and bruises over the uh, Trump years, a lot of the conversations about whether political polling was broken. And yet I see people right back at it. They're doing it. They're taking it very seriously. How's how's your industry doing? Uh, we're continuing to improve and, and learn from our previous, you know, uh, opportunities. Um, of course, the polling industry has always been hammered with, you know, outliers like 1936, 1948, 1980. So, you know, there's that, that um, you know, examples are, are there. With that said, it still demonstrates that a survey, a poll gives you a general trend of what's happening. And I think the biggest mistake that we have is trying to make too much of a survey. Right. Um, don't read too much into the number because it's a range of scores, but it get, gives you a general trend of what's happening. Exactly. It tells you what direction you're going, but it's not going to give you door-to-door directions. That's the kind of thing. A compass, a not ways. So because, <laughs> well, that's important, I think, because your numbers found that in the U.S. Senate race in Pennsylvania, that uh, uh, businessman David McCormick is at 18% and TV Dr. Oz is at 17%. And so that's that's not really significant. It's basically two guys who are, you know, kind of very, very close tied, basically, with uh, Kathy Barnett at 10%, Jeff Bartos at nine, Carlos Sands at eight, George Paquetto at four, Sean Gale at three. So what should a discerning reader of Emerson College polling and Delaware Valley Journal take away from those numbers? Well, just looking at those top line numbers, you'd say that the race is still fairly wide open. Uh, There's a third of voters that are undecided and that no candidate is over 20 percent, certainly not 30 percent, where, of course, you only need a plurality in Pennsylvania to win. You don't need to get to 50 percent. But with that said, we've got an open race. Yeah, I think so, too. I thought it was interesting. You looked at what happened with undecided voters when you did leans. Like, I know you're not decided, but if you had to go right now, uh, what happens when you go through those numbers? Yeah, and then uh, pushing people to make a decision today on who they would vote for. You see McCormick really picks up another nine points, and Jeff Bardos picks up eight points. And so those two are really the recipients of those undecideds. Which means that that 33% on the sidelines are are, leaning toward those two candidates. Of course, it doesn't prove anything, and there's a lot of campaigning yet to go. It's interesting to me. Uh, McCormick and Oz are dominating you know, TV coverage. People, are t- as, as you know, uh, Spence, every, every year, it's a lot of these ads, uh, but uh, they work. I, I, you know, they, people think they work. They keep spending millions of dollars on them. But Jeff Barto says something that I think people have overlooked, which is he's run for statewide office in the past and won his party's primary in the past. And as you know, it is a, it is pretty darn easy to vote for somebody you've already voted for once before. Yeah, and when we talk about the uh, governor's race with Lou Barletta, we will have that situation in. Um, But yeah, back to to Bardos, he's right up there, particularly when we combine in those undecided voters. Mm -hmm. And he's at 17 percent. 
you know, the person who's most concerned is Dr. Oz, who's right. kind of plateaued. Mm-hmm. And that is the question, but can he grow? Can he you know, break through? We'll see what happens. Now let's talk about, you mentioned the governor's race and uh, just very quickly, uh, former Congressman Lou Barletta, 20%, State Senator Doug Mastriano at 19%, businessman David White at 12, Bill McSwain, the, uh, the former U.S. attorney at eight, Jake Corman at four, and then you've got a bunch of people at three, two, et cetera. Uh, what, anything that we should be paying attention to uh, in, in the numbers for the Republican nomination for governor? Well, I think uh, you saw yesterday, Bill McSwain put out a new a new comparative piece, a new ad, um, and he's comparing against three other candidates. And what are the candidates that he's comparing against? It's White, Mastriano, and Barletta. Right. And it wasn't just by chance he chose those three candidates. <laughs> those are the three candidates that are polling above him in this mm. survey. So he's right. at 8%. The other ones are at 12 and 19 and 20. He's not punching down to the people at three and 4%. Right. So I think it kind of substantiates what the numbers are showing by looking at what the advertising is, what the candidates are actually advertising because they're trying to move the needle on those votes. And I think it's interesting that when you did your allocation with the you know undecideds, you know, kind of twisting their arm, that you ended up with a very similar breakdown that 27% who weren't willing to pick a name are picking names in a very similar order to the people who have made up their mind. Exactly. Uh, Lou Barletta actually carries the day there, getting almost 7% of that vote, a quarter of that vote. Um, But I think that has a lot to do with your earlier point on name recognition, Mm -hmm. having run for office before. And if I forced you at this moment, if the election was, you know, (laughs) April 7th, well, I know Lou Barletta, I voted for him, I'm going to go. But I'm saying that the race is still open. uh, Voters are really taking a look now at the candidates. Well, you got about six weeks, not even till election day so it's you know it's coming up let me ask about the the shape of the two parties from a polling standpoint Uh, emerson college polling you poll all over the country you poll nationally and you've done a lot of polls lately in the uh, kind of the eastern half of the state of the country what what can you tell me about republicans and democrats right now uh, it's very fascinating. So like within the Democratic Party, uh, you got Joe Biden, who's the head of the party, and he's struggling uh, in every state uh, regarding his, his favorability. And when we ask the question about who you're blaming for higher gas prices, he's the one being blamed roughly by half of the voters, 45. And, and we see this pretty consistently. The oil and gas companies, they're getting blamed by like 20 percent. And you can see that the Democrats are really struggling to try to place blame somewhere else besides Biden because he's really getting hammered with the independents. Um, and, and that's something that the Democrats are dealing with. On the Republican side, you got Donald Trump. And in every poll that we do, we ask about the impact of his endorsement on the race. And that number is close to 60% in almost every state that they would be much more likely to vote for a candidate in the Republican primary if Donald Trump endorsed them. You know, I think back six years ago when Donald Trump was first running for president, you right. know, people stayed away from him. Uh, now it's like he is the party. And you see that in these numbers. Uh, it's a little different down in Georgia, but pretty consistent mm-hmm. everywhere else in the country. Yeah. And I th- that's fascinating to me, too. And I think people mistakenly think that Trump is not popular with Republicans because the Republicans who get media attention are the kind that don't like Trump. But if you go out in a Republican event, it's generally warm feelings. But I also, I, and I don't know if you've measured this or if you have any you know, intuitive thoughts from all the data that's run across your desk, but I also get a sense though that the kind of you know, death throw love affair, <laughs> you, you must love my Trump 
I, I think we're moving beyond that as well. I'm, I'm just not encountering that many people who are either you are with Trump or you are dead to me. It's more like I'm with Trump. I don't want you to trash Trump. But if you're not as big a fan as I am, I get it. Yeah, I would say the polarization, but I think it's really the economic conditions and the cost of people. And I think it's a simple thought that they're looking at what it costs to get gas. And they're saying when Trump was president, it cost 250 and now it's costing 450. And in their mind, they're just connecting it to the sitting president. And that's a real problem for Biden. And on the Trump side, I, we've seen his favorabilities increase over right. the last two years. So you know, as he's been out of that spotlight as much, people's attitudes about him are, are changing gradually in a positive direction. And that's got to be a concern for the Democrats. Yeah. And, you know, you also wonder if they didn't uh, if the people who hate him didn't do him the biggest favor in the world by pulling him off social media. <laughs> how, that, how that worked out. Uh, and then my last thing I want to ask you about is uh, the you know, attitudes towards energy policy, Green New Deal, et cetera. I think we've seen. I, OK, I'm going to run my dumb theory by you, Spence, and then you can tell me how dumb I am. Uh, I I've seen two fascinating uh lessons for people in politics about don't get ahead of your skis so whatever that cliche is one was police reform and george floyd and the other is green new deal and gas prices in the you know a couple months after the george floyd murder it was so horrific people were genuinely upset you understood it you had a bunch of moderate politicians particularly democrats but some republicans too who really got out on, you know, ending cash bail. And they did maybe have not, they maybe didn't go full defund the police, but, you know, they were more social workers, you know, reform policing. And then what happened? Crime rates for all sorts of reasons went up. And all of a sudden those people are left hanging out on this kind of crime, you know, thing of, wait, you wanted to do what to the police? And now I think you're seeing that with Green New Deal, where politicians who just six months ago were in fossil fuels, the world's on fire, solar power. They're now going, I, I, I have no problem with, with oil. We need more oil. Oil's great. And it just shows how events can change how a political position looks. And I'm wondering if you're seeing any shifting on what voters are saying about how they view things like the Green New Deal, energy policy, et cetera. Yeah, so on any of these energy policies, it is just coming right back to these gas prices. And so um, any idea that, hey, we are going to take away you know, uh, subsidies or we're going to add subsidies to non-traditional uh, you know, um, you know, uh, energy sources, they're okay, but that's not what's connecting with voters right now. This is a real crisis. This is not like, oh, things are more expensive, but we don't notice it. No, everyone's noticing it. The cost of everything is going up at, at you know, every time you turn your, your head around, you know, cost of milk, cost of eggs, and that's playing out. And we've got midterm elections in coming up in seven months. And that's where, you know, the Republicans are going to pick up seats in the house. And the question is, can they take back the Senate? But the wins, the political wins are like right. almost a 180 from where we were in 2018. It really is astonishing. It's, it smells like 2010 to me, Spencer Kimball at uh, Emerson College polling. What does it smell Maybe like? Maybe come you? back to Boston. <laughs> but you see what I'm saying? Does it smell like 2010 to you, the, the way things are shaping up? That, that big? 
Well, it's funny. In 2010, you had the Scott Brown uh, election oh. at the beginning of the year. That was the yep. big, you know, kind of, hey, this is what's happening. You kind of saw it in 2021 in, in Virginia and a little, in New know, Jersey, frankly, in Jersey. Um, no, listen, you know, I think Jersey's bigger. I, the number, the actual numerical shift in New Jersey was astonishing. A nobody candidate no one had heard of. I just, yeah. it's just amazing. You know, I mean, Glenn Youngkin's a good candidate. Exactly. You know, and, so you could understand the 13. Yeah. Points. But that was just a, they were just, oh, you have a D by you? Bye. And, that and was that, it. that's what's going to happen in the, in these midterms that people aren't realizing, particularly in the suburbs. And then you, one issue that we haven't talked about is COVID response. Ah, talk, talk and, about that. Yeah. And so the Democrats are in this weird area where they are still, their base is still very concerned with COVID, hesitant to, to go out. Uh, Independence Republicans are on the other side, generally, um, on that where now the Democrats, you know, think about masking, think about, you know, not having events in person, that's going to line more up with the Democrats. And that kind of turns off the independents as well. Um, now we're all rooting that COVID, I presume we're all rooting that COVID, you know, dissipates and we, we move on. If it was to come back, that might show that the Democrats were in the right position. Right. But for voters, Again, I think you're like you're in a wrong place on an issue, particularly amongst independent voters and in the suburbs, uh, especially with school closings. The talk about ever closing school again, uh, particularly this year, would be detrimental, I think, to the Democrats' um, chances of retaining either the House or the Senate. So I, I keep saying this last question, but you keep tricking me by being interesting, which is not your wheelhouse, Spencer. So you're throwing me off here. I'm a numbers uh, guy. But I got but I got asked about one more thing since you just mentioned, which is the suburbs. Uh, and whether it's the suburbs of Philadelphia with you know, Bucks, Chester, Delaware and Montgomery counties, or whether it's a bedroom state like New Hampshire, which basically the southern pop, you know, heavy populated part is a you know, suburb of uh, Boston. What are you seeing in the suburbs and put it on a thermometer scale of remember when they were in a anti-Trump fever? You know, it was blowing the top off. They hated Trump and everything to do with them. Where would you put the suburbs now? I would put it as a toss up as really? the suburbs. Yeah. Um, and, and again, it, it's mostly financial, but, uh, and you know, what's interesting is that the school shutdown was under the Trump administration, yet mm -hmm. they would blame more of the Biden administration for the thought of doing it again. And so, uh, yeah, the, definitely in play in, in the suburbs, you know, the problem is going to be getting the urban vote out in, in these midterm elections yeah. as well. But, um, you know, the female vote that was really staunch against Trump, if that starts softening up or the Hispanic vote starts softening up, then, you know, the Republicans are looking at not only a wave this year, but potentially a 2024 uh, take back of the White House. So, you know, the Democrats have got to get a message, an issue, and they, they don't seem to have that at, at this point. Remember, in 2018, they had the health care issue. Right. They talked about, you know, right now they can't talk about energy or gas because or covid um yeah no it's a tough place to be in in the, in the midterms right now for the uh incumbent party 2018 ugly for republicans 2022 looking the same way for democrats but it's always beautiful to speak to professor spencer kimball he's director of polling for emerson polling at emerson uh, college thanks so much for joining us here on the podcast we really appreciate your time michael thanks for having me have a great day Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the Delaware Valley Journal on the air. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with your friends, post it on social media. And if you haven't, sign up for our twice a week newsletter so you don't miss any of the terrific content from DelawareValleyJournal.com. Thanks again. I'm your host, Michael Graham.